Amen. Well, thank you so much. <clears throat> Take your Bible this morning, Romans chapter 2, for just a moment, Romans 2. What a, what a privilege to be here this morning. Thank you so much uh, just for the opportunity to be able to be here. It doesn't seem like that long ago that I was sitting in the place that you are as a college student looking forward to what God was going to do in the future. And uh, I guess I look back now. And uh, it's been a few years uh, since that time, uh, but God has been faithful and God has been good, and I'm so thankful for it. Look at what the Bible says, Romans chapter 2 and verse number 14. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts, the mean, while accusing or else excusing one another. Father, I pray that you'd use the next few moments that we have together. Thank you for these college students. And, and uh, Lord, I'm excited to see what you'll do in so many lives. And, and Father, I pray this morning for the next few moments you would just equip us with an understanding of one of the most challenging discussions of our generation. I pray that you would help us to understand why a good and loving God might allow us to at times go through pain and difficulty and trial and suffering. So Father, I pray for your wisdom this morning. Thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for standing this morning. You may be seated. Good to be back on the campus here at West Coast. Uh, we uh, have always enjoyed so much the testimony here. I, I got to come back to Joshua Camp this past summer and uh, preach at Joshua Camps, and, and many of you in here uh, have worked that, and I got the chance to get to know some of you. And uh, we've had some of you out uh, at our church. Josh Johns over here was an intern uh, this summer. David Go, I'm not sure where David's at. I'm assuming he's in here somewhere this side. People are pointing, way in the back. David, I'm here today. You're way in the back. What are you doing, man? Uh, in, in our church, he sat up close when he was there for the summer, Dr. R. I want you to know that. He was, uh, he was really plugged in. I'm not sure why he's so backslidden today, but uh, they, they did such a good job for our church this summer. And uh, we were thankful for their ministry and the way they applied themselves to the work. And, and we had a good summer, didn't we? We really enjoyed. Uh, we work hard at Castleview Baptist Church, but we play hard too. And, and so we had some good times together. And by the way, we're looking for a good intern. We've got, we always have a couple of them. We have one coming already. And uh, if you're here this morning and say, listen, I want to be a part of a local church this summer. Uh, we're actually moving in. Uh, just mentioned a moment ago, we're moving into our first building uh, this Easter. And and uh, God has just really proven himself faithful in some amazing ways. We had Dr. Gibbs at uh, a legacy banquet just a few months ago. And our church, uh, by faith, uh, raised just short of $2 million. And uh, that is way bigger than our church is. I can assure you our church has raised over $6 million since 2018. And uh, God has uh, just really used their faith. And we're excited about what's going on. If you're an intern with us this summer, uh, you'll be in that building for the very first time, and, and uh, I'll be here at the end of the service this morning if I can talk with you. I'd sure love to be able to do that uh, here today. Well, I, I remember reading this a number of years ago. In the early days of a man named Billy Graham, many of you know that name. He was a very well-known, prominent evangelist for a number of years. He, 
he would actually go and pack out stadiums, and, and he'd go into these crusades. And, and, uh, and in his early years, he uh, saw some tremendous blessing in his ministry. He had a contemporary at that time, another evangelist. It was a friend of his by the name of Charles Templeton. Charles Templeton was interesting. Charles had actually uh, planted a church himself. The church had great success in the early days. Matter of fact, it wasn't long, and, and Charles Templeton's church was running about 1,200 people. Many people that knew Charles and, and knew Billy Graham actually predicted that the ministry of Charles Templeton was so dynamic and so powerful that some of those that observed both of those men actually predicted that Charles Templeton's ministry could outpace and even have greater impact than the ministry of Billy Graham himself. That was until Charles Templeton began to have some doubts. But one day he approached Billy Graham and he, he said these words to Billy Graham. He said, Billy, you're 50 years out of date. People no longer Accept the Bible as being inspired the way that you do. Billy, your faith is too simple. His doubts came out in a book that he, not soon after that conversation with Billy Graham, that, he, that came out and he wrote. It was, it was a book that he titled, Farewell to God, My Reasons for Leaving the Christian Faith. In his book, he lists a number of tragedies. He lists Alzheimer's and its ravaging effects on the body as evidence that there could possibly be no loving God. But for Charles Templeton, his, his doubts turned to disbelief as a result of a photograph. He said in his book that it was a photograph in Time magazine. It was a, a woman on the cover of the magazine that was in a drought-stricken area of Africa, and she was carrying her dead baby in her arms. He said that when he saw that picture and the look on her face, and the despair that, that she was displaying. And, and he saw that, that she was hurting because her baby just simply needed water, simply needed the rain. He said in that moment, he said these words, I knew at that moment that there must not be a loving God. He said, how, how could I believe in a God that would allow that to happen to this woman and this little baby? How could I believe the way that I had that there was a, a, an all-knowing, all-loving, all-powerful God that he was the one that turned on the rain and turned it off? He was the one that could provide at his own whim. He could do everything necessary for this little baby to have life. He said, that's what I believed about this God, but no longer because... God did not come through for this woman. And here we find the question that so many in my generation and yours are asking. If there is a loving God, if he does in fact exist, if he knows what we're going through, and if he cares about what we're facing, then how could a loving, caring God allow this to take place in so many lives? How could he let this suffering continue? We've all seen it. 
It's not just Charles Templeton that saw suffering. It wasn't just this woman in Africa. We've all seen suffering on the news. We've, we've heard of the 9-11s. I remember when I, where I was when I received the news of those towers coming down. I live in an area that right up the road, Columbine High School, a number of years ago, had, had really uh, the first well-known mass school shooting. We had the Aurora th uh, Theater shooting just up the road from our place, but we've also looked at history, and we see things like uh, Rwanda. We see the, the, the genocide there. We see uh, things like the Holocaust. And it's not just in history, and it's not just the, the news we see all of this take place. You've experienced it in your life. I was nine years old. My, my parents came in and told me that my mother had been diagnosed with, with multiple sclerosis. And for the last 41 years, I've watched what that disease has done to her body. My wife and I have a, a younger son. He's 23 years old now. Uh, our second son, he, he was born with, a, with a, an injury to his, his spine and, and to his left arm and his hand. And so, so when he was born, he, he, he did not have use of that left arm and hand. Still does not to this day. Just has just a little bit of a use to it. We've all experienced it. We've all seen it. We've all gone through something. And it's just so easy to ask that question. God, if you really cared about us, if you really knew what was going on, then why didn't you step in? Why did didn't you do something in that moment? George Barna, the well-known researcher, conducted a poll. He asked this question. He said, if you could ask God only one question and you knew he would give you an answer, what question would you ask? He left it open-ended, and yet 17% of all of the people that he polled replied in this way. They would ask God, why is there pain and suffering in the world? And I think as believers, we need to be able to answer this question. Because so many people, like Charles Templeton, have chosen to reject an all-knowing, all-loving, all-powerful God based on the, the problem of suffering. And this morning, for just a couple of moments, just please allow me to help maybe equip us as we deal with this very, very common question. Would you allow me just for a few moments to, to articulate a few objections, accusations that people that are struggling with this question might have? And here's the first accusation that comes up. When people see suffering and pain, when they see challenge and difficulty, when they see pictures like the one Charles Templeton did, when they hear of school shootings, here's the first question that comes up. There is no God. In their mind, there, there, there cannot be. They, they look at this and say, this is evidence that, that God cannot exist. But can I give you this? And I'm just going to spend a little quick time on this one this morning because you've got great apologetics teachers here at this college that would do a much better job in this area than I would. But can I just tell you for a moment that we have a moral law that affirms we have a God. There is something within us. We read it a moment ago in Romans chapter 2. There's something that has been written on every single heart. And the atheist looks at it and says, listen, there's evil in the world. Therefore, there must not be a God. Do you realize that the very fact that we know there is evil affirms we have a God? If I walked in here this morning and I had a, if I had a purse, 
and, 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 and I'm rifling through this purse and I'm pulling money out of it. And I'm going through the belongings and I've got, I'm taking out anything valuable out of this purse and, and I'm rifling through this purse and you walk up and you say, uh, Pastor Tate, uh, interesting, I didn't think you'd have a purse. Uh, where, did, where did you get the purse? And I said, well, I was... Um, I was walking in this morning. Actually, I was uh, just outside the auditorium, and there was, a, there was an older lady that was walking by. She, she, uh, uh, she, she had a cane, and she was hobbling a little bit, and, and uh, she was trying to make her way into one of the buildings. And, and, uh, and I walked by her, and I saw her, and I walked right up to her, and I kicked that cane out from under her. I shoved her down, and I pushed her face into the mud. I picked up that purse. And now I've got, I just want to see what's in it. I mean, I could use the money too. I mean, it's, it's, hey, uh, you know, it's, all, it's all fair, right? I can do whatever I want to do. Every person, every person, every person in this auditorium right now would say, Pastor Tate, you're a jerk. That's wrong. You can't, you can't do that. That's not right. That's, nobody, can I tell you, there, there, there is a code among humans about right and wrong and that which is moral or immoral. We may, we may differentiate where that line is, but we all have it. Where does that come from? The, the animal kingdom doesn't have that line. I've got a, uh, we put our trash out on the, on the curb every, every Friday at my house, and sometimes the wind will blow those trash cans open. And, and sometimes the, the crows will get in. And, and can I tell you what the animal kingdom does? The animal kingdom is all about me first. There's no, there's no code. It doesn't matter if you're in the jungles of Africa, if, if, if a lion comes across something that has been killed by a smaller animal, it's, it's the fittest is going to survive. They come in, they don't have to share, they, they take what they want. That's the, how the animal kingdom works. There's no code, there's no right and wrong, there's, there's no, uh, that's moral, that's immoral. What's the difference with, with the human race? The difference is, Romans tells us that God has placed within us, he's written on our hearts the law. It doesn't mean we know all of the, the commandments. It doesn't mean we understand everything the Pharisees and all the laws they produced. It doesn't man, mean we know everything about the Bible, but it does tell us, it gives us enough that there's something that is different. There's something written on us. Humans are different than the animal kingdom. The moral law tells us, proves to us, affirms to us that there is a God. Can I tell you the second thing people struggle with? The first accusation is this. There is no God. But can I tell you the second thing they struggle with? If God does exist, then he must not know. Now that seems reasonable, doesn't it? Well, if, if, if there is a God, well, then he must be busy with other things. He, he must have his attention elsewhere. He must not be involved in, in human affairs on a, on a regular basis. There's, a, there's actually a belief called deism that, that, that teaches that, that God created the universe and, and all that exists, but once he created it, he, he pulled back. He basically left it on its own. He, he walked away from it, took his hands off of it, and allowed whatever was going to take place from that moment forward to simply take place. But the Bible gives a different picture. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16. Listen to what it says. For by him were all things created. There's, there's our, we understand that we were created by God, but watch what it says. We're, that, that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible, invisible, whether it be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him 
and for him. Colossians 1.17 says, and he is before all things, and listen, and by him all things consist. The the word consist here is, is interesting. It means holds all together. In other words, God is the glue of the universe. Did you know if God took his hand off of us, we would go right back into the dust we came from? If, if God were to take his hand off of us, we would, we would uh, the, the orbit, the, the, the planets that are orbiting, gravity, it, we would just spin out of control. God is the, the glue of the universe. He's the one that keeps everything together. And this idea that God does not know is not a biblical concept. He understands the macro, the large picture, but the Bible says he also understands the micro, the small picture. Remember Matthew chapter 10 where we're told that are not two sparrows sold for a farthing and one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father? Sparrows are not the most expensive birds. They're just common birds. Nothing that special about a sparrow. And yet the Bible says that, that even if a sparrow were to fall to the ground, our father would know about it. And then he goes on to say in verse 31, Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. I, I want to encourage you this morning. Some of you right now, you say, well, God, why would you let this happen in my life? If you know it, I'm not sure that you care. There's not a single thing in the world that has ever happened to you that God has not known and allowed. He knows it. And he's allowed it to take place. Psalm 91 is so good on on that very topic. The Bible says that we have an angel that watches over us. It goes on to say this, that you will not even dash your foot against a stone without God allowing that to take place. You know what that says? You will not even stub your toe without God saying it's okay that he can stub his toe. He knows it and he allows it. And we say, well, God, why would you? You must not care. If if you know what's going on, you must not care. That's not the picture of the Bible. The picture of the Bible is God cares so much. He sent his son into the world, not for good people, but for sinners. I love the the, the story of, of John 11. We all know 35 because that's the shortest verse in the Bible. We memorized that one first when we were kids and needed a Bible verse to, to give a church or a one or whatever. So we, we know the, the two-word uh, phrase we have there in John eleven thirty five. 35. But do you remember before Jesus wept what happened? Jesus comes on. Lazarus has passed away. Uh, Mary and Martha have sent for him. Jesus didn't come right away. And their accusation is, Jesus, don't you care? Have you ever had someone talking about you and you just kind of knew it? I think Jesus knew he was being talked about. Martha shows up. Jesus shows up and Martha goes and sees him. And and what does Martha say? Martha says, "Well, well, Lord, had you been here? Lazarus had not died. Where were you? A few minutes later, 
Mary shows up. Mary says the exact same thing Martha says. They've been talking about this. Hey, Lord, had you been here, my brother had not died. Where were you? And then we get to verse 35. And the Bible says Jesus wept. Why? Isn't that strange that Jesus would, why, why would, why would Jesus weep? I mean, Jesus, you know what, wait a minute, you know you're going to call him out of the grave. You know that they're going to take off the grave clothes. You, you know he's going to live again. Hey, you're about to have a, a meal and, and, and he's going to be sitting right there at the meal. Jesus, what, what are you, why, why are you weeping? What is going on? I'll tell you why Jesus wept. He wept because Mary and Martha wept. Do you know what compassion is? It's your hurt in my heart. And that's what Jesus had. He's weeping here because people that are close to him are weeping. And so his compassion is oozing out of him. He sees the hurt they're going through and he feels it deeply. Can I tell you that we have a God that is not so disconnected from what you're going through. It's a, he's not disconnected from your pain. He, he knows what it is to feel lonely. He knows what it is to feel slandered. He knows what it is to feel betrayed. He's gone through all of this and he cares for you deeply. Accusation two, if God exists, he does not know. No, the Bible says he absolutely knows what's happening. Can I give you another accusation? Accusation number three. If God does know, then he is not good. God, if, if you knew that my mom would get multiple sclerosis and you let it happen. Well, well you know, must not be good. God, if you knew that that attack was going to happen, well, you must not be. Can I just stop you here for a moment and just tell you that, that there's an assumption that is made here. And the assumption sounds a little bit like this. We, as human beings, know what is good. But when I was a kid, I loved Starburst candies. I still love Starburst candies. I'm kind of on a Mike and Ike Sours thing right now, though. Anyone, anyone else ever had Mike and Ike? If you've never had Mike and Ike, if you like tart candy, go to the Mike and Ike Sours. I can eat those just about every, I try not to, but I could if I, if, if I, if I let myself, I could eat those about every night. When I was a kid, if, if you would have told me that, that I had the chance to be able to lock myself in a room and I never had to eat meat and potatoes and vegetables ever again, if you locked me inside of a room and all you put in that room was Starburst, I would have chosen it. I'm thankful that my mom knew a little better than I did. My mom knew that, no, no, you need some vegetables. You need some, th you need some protein. You need some, you need some dairy. You need some things that are going to be helpful for your muscles and bones as you grow. I didn't know that as a child, but my, but my, but my mom did. Hey, can I, can I just say this? If, if one day there was a hunter that was out in the, in, in, he's hunting somewhere, maybe he's hunting elk or moose or whatever, common in Colorado, and he comes across a little bear cub out in the woods, but he notices that that bear cub has actually been 
been trapped. And, and, and sometimes years and years ago, they would use these, the, these traps that had jaws and these teeth, they, these metal traps, and, and they were spring-loaded, and something would put its foot in it, and these things were tied to chain to trees, and, and this thing would go off. And let's say that a hunter came across a little bear cub that had been stuck in that trap. It wasn't what the hunter was wanting to get, and so he comes across this little bear cub. He wants to free the cub. In order to do that, he's got to come over and he's got to push that bear cub's paw just a little bit deeper into that trap so he can release the spring and allow that cub to go free. Can I ask you something? As that hunter is pushing down that bear cub's paw, do you think that bear cub believes that hunter is doing good? I think the... The hunter is not evil in that situation. The hunter is trying to help, but the bear cub doesn't understand it. I remember hearing stories of, of, of battles and wars, maybe like the Civil War. And our soldiers would, would fight in these battles, and oftentimes the conditions were so poor that they would get something called gangrene. Then they would show up in front of the surgeons, and the surgeons would would assess the situation, and sometimes they would say, well, that, that gangrene, that infection, it's going to begin to go up your leg. It's going to actually take your life, and, and it looked like it wasn't that big a deal. It was just in a toe, or maybe it was just kind of in a foot, and, but that, that surgeon understood that if we don't take care of that problem right now, if we don't maybe take the leg off below the knee, even though it's only right now on the foot, then, then you could actually lose your life. Is that surgeon evil? No. The soldier does not want that, but the surgeon understands that the soldier needs that. You go to the dentist. The dentist assesses the situation, tells you you need a root canal. He begins to tell you that you're going to have all kinds of problems and it's going to be worse if, if you don't take care of the, the issue at hand. Is the dentist evil? Yes, dentists are always evil. No. The dentist knows that, that if you don't get it, to, it's going to get worse and it's going to get worse. And it's going to, can I ask you something? If my mom knew more than me as a child, if the hunter knows more than a bear cub, if a, a surgeon knows more than a soldier, if, if a dentist knows more than his patient, can we just stop for a moment and allow that God knows more than us. The, the scripture says he's the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end. He knows what will happen tomorrow. He knows what will happen next year. He knows that, that, that this taking place here, it doesn't look good, but, but because of that, then this thing over here, the ultimate good can actually take place. Can I give you two examples of that? I think that if we were there with the stoning of Stephen, every one of us would say this was not good. Stephen did nothing wrong. He's preaching the gospel. He's, he's a faithful follower of Jesus. He's, he's preaching, and, and now they're taking up stones, and they, and, they, and they go, and they stone Steve, and they take his life. If you're a disciple there that day, I think you step back and go, God, what are you doing? God, he's, he's, he's preaching about, he, he's lifting up your, God, please, do, don't let this happen. This is not 
good. And the Bible says there, there was a man there that day that by the name of Saul, they laid their coats at his feet. And it's not long later that Saul goes and, he, and he's on the Damascus road and Jesus begins to speak with Saul. And Jesus says, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. In other words, Saul, your conscience is bothering you. And I just, I, I just in my mind, I think, you know, it just feels like Saul has watched the way Stephen goes through this stoning and even death. And he thinks to himself, there's something different about this Stephen. What is different about this man? And I think it's going over and over and over in his mind. And I think God uses that for Saul to come to Jesus. Was, was Stephen's death what we would consider good? No, no, we would, we would consider it a tragedy. But, but, but what about when God could use something like that? And now you have the Apostle Paul who's converted and a preacher and writes much in the New Testament and evangelizes and mentors and helps. And millions of people have heard about Jesus through his writings and through his testimony. Well, well Lord, the, the Stephen thing, that wasn't, that wasn't good. But, but yet God can use that. For good. By the way, think about Stephen. If you were to talk to Stephen right now, you go to heaven right now, you talk to Stephen. Hey, Stephen, hey, were you, were you upset? I mean, boy, do you feel a little slighted that, that you were just doing right and God didn't back you? Are you kidding me? I mean, I closed my eyes there on earth. I opened them in heaven. Are you kidding me? The pain, the suffering, the difficulty, the challenge, the emotions, the burdens of life that I got, didn't have to go through? Let me give you one more. You're standing at the foot of the cross. Jesus is being crucified. You've watched the whole thing. You've, you've watched them pluck his beard. You've seen them spit on. You've listened to, the, to them deride him and mock him. And the whole time you've, you've stood there and you've... What is, what is happening right now? We read the account. Lord, what, why would you let this take? If we were standing there with Mary, you'd say, God, well, why would you let this happen? Why, why would you? This is your son. Why would you let this? Because God is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but his long suffering to usward. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Can I tell you about our God? God oftentimes allows bad things to take place because God is more patient than we are. If I'm God, I, I okay, I'm going to eliminate all Evil. Well, you do something wrong, you lie, you cheat, you steal, I'll just eliminate. But our God is so much more patient than we are. And he's long-suffering. And he's willing to love us through our challenges. He's, he's willing to, to let people get this warning of, of even suffering and trial and challenge so that they can turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, the Bible teaches us that justice delayed does not mean justice denied. 
Psalm 73 tells us, the psalmist sits back and says, Lord, I don't understand the, the pagan, the heathen. I'm, I'm following you, and, and I've got challenges, but, but their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than their heart could wish. God, what is going on? Why are you letting? And, and, and then he says, well, when I went to the sanctuary of God, God taught me, and I started to realize something. Wait a minute. As a dream when one awaketh, their, their pleasures... Their prosperities, if they have not to turn to Christ, all those things will go away. Justice delayed does not mean justice denied. God is so patient to allow people to turn to him. I, I was just in Honduras last week. A week ago now, I was, I was there Missionary Matt Goins. I'm not sure if, if uh, uh, a lot of you are familiar with Dr. R is. Matt Goins lost his 19-year-old son. He and his wife, Delita, uh, just 10 months ago. Their, their college-age son, their college-age son was at a Bible college. He was, he was working grounds. He was uh, working along a, a main road. And, and a man that was drunk, middle of the day, was trying to get cigarettes out of his out of his hoodie, is what he said. And and as he's trying to get these cigarettes out of his hoodie, he swerves, he strikes Jaden, their son, 19 years of age, sophomore to Bible college, preparing to serve the Lord on the mission field. Strikes him and takes his life. I spent the week last week with with Matt Goins, and a lot of tears were shed over his son who passed away 10 months ago. This is what Matt said. Matt said, uh, he said, um, I live right now on the verge of tears. And I watched it. You know, you'd, you'd talk about Jaden, I'd bring him up, and he wanted to talk about Jaden. He wanted to, and, and there were some lessons he learned of all that, but he said, he said, at any moment I can break down. My wife, at any moment, any, any memory can come back. And, and we talk about, it, the tears would begin to flow down his face. And, and, and I was speaking at a, at a conference for national pastors and, and missionaries there, and, and at a breakout session, Matt taught the men, and Delita, his wife, taught the ladies, and it was what they've learned through grief. Powerful. I sat down, I had my, my, my notebook out, and I just listened to him as he just shared, poured out his heart about what God had been teaching him. And the thing that stood out the most, he, he said some things about the fragility of life. He, he told us that you need to hug your kids and you need to love your kids and you need to spend time with your kids and don't waste opportunities with your children. And, and boy, I got that and I heard that and I, I, I took note of that right away. But, but I'll never forget what he said at the very beginning. He said this, he said, I've learned through my grief that my God is sovereign and good. I, I've learned through my grief that my God is sovereign and good. That my God does all things well. That no matter what I face, I can trust Him. I think we need to have some answers. I think when we 
talk to people in our generation as they're challenged and they're going through difficulty and pain. We need to have an answer. But there might be some in here right now, too, that, that you're facing this crisis moment. That at this very moment, you say, God, I don't know why you let that parental situation go the way that you did. If you cared, you wouldn't have allowed. God, I'm not sure why you let this enter into my life the way that you did, but I just don't understand. And some of us maybe this morning need to come to a place in our lives that we can simply say, God, I don't understand all things, but in all things I will trust. You're the creator. You're the one who knows all. I know that you care for me, and I know that you'll make all things right.